guess what time it is, bitches? Brainwash Radio. You be loving it, you be loving it on Thank you guys for listening, I appreciate it. Let's continue, shall we? The Chinese song by Maha Elliot and Marco Gia Garcia.
introduce you to some real solid groove. I introduce you to some real solid groove. Music that's sound as a rock. In fact, I'd like to present to you a man who wisely the world up about what the groove is all about. Get it on. DJ Roper. He's a director, producer, and DJ almost. Ah, let's get it on.
see my camera? Do you 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 see my camera? The AI is a my friend. Somebody told me to shut the fuck up. Somebody told me to shut the the most shocking vision to come out of the war in Iraq was published by WikiLeaks. Army video filmed in 2007 showed a group of men, almost all unarmed, being gunned down in a Baghdad street by an American Apache helicopter and recorded the voices of the soldiers carrying out the attack. Come on, buddy. I got pick up a weapon. One man had reportedly been carrying an RPG 
a rocket-propelled grenade. But two of the unarmed men who died were Reuters news staff, and two young children in a van were seriously wounded in the onslaught. The title given to the video, Collateral Murder, marked the launch of a highly politicized agenda for WikiLeaks, driven by the website's founder, Julian Assange. People are not asking the right questions. They're not asking the right questions because they kind of think they already know the answers. Technology is being used that we would never believe was possible. Beginning in 1954, gravity control was mastered. Nazi Germany, they were developing flying saucer technology using anti-gravity. With the reverse engineering of extraterrestrial vehicles, we had figured out zero-point energy. If that were to come out, it would be the end of oil, coal, nuclear power, all of it. <laughs> the Joe Rogan experience. There's so much stuff that we kept from the story that, that if I told you, you wouldn't believe me. Now, when it came to the movie, we, we filmed it around like the gunfight. Like what? So it, we filmed it, the, the movie around the gunfight because that's when everyone was alive. I was like, you shouldn't have known that I was going to be the guy to make it out. When they were picking the actors, I was like, so if you get somebody, like an A-list actor, and then everybody, they'll know that, that he's the one that made it out. I was like, when you're watching the movie, you shouldn't know that. Of course, Hollywood does kind of does their own thing. But... The craziest part about that whole operation was getting me out of there, and that wasn't in the movie. In the movie, they did a daylight, daylight extract. Like they came in, landed, and a couple of shots, and they got out of there. In real life, it wasn't like that. It was unbelievable. I mean, it was a night, and the I mean, the world was blowing up. We were in this like a, a volcano, like sitting in the middle of this volcano. And I remember looking down the mountain, and there's a there's a there's a river running down. I mean, it looked like miles down. And they had moved me. They had to carry me. I couldn't walk. And they, they kind of like, and they, they, we would stumble over the Green Berets, Rangers. It was a hodgepodge. Let me tell you something. When them guys showed up to rescue me, when they found me, I was laying in a in a riverbed, dried up, tucked under a rock. They, the the villagers had shoved me underneath this rock, and there was this one guy I had never met before, and he was sitting there listening to a, a AM/FM radio, and he was scrolling through the channels. We hand those out for morale, like the, the U.S. military hands those out. And he had one of them. I recognized it. And he was listening to, to the different channels, and I could recognize the different languages, German, Japanese. And he was like, hey, they're talking about you. And I was like, okay. I didn't know who he was. It's kind of messing with me a little bit because I, I couldn't move, and he, he had this sting. In, anyway, it's not important. And then um, then the the... Gulab and a couple of the, av the villagers came and, and picked me up. They had to carry me everywhere. And they why, why did they save you? Because in the movie, it's confusing. It is. Because in the movie, it's like these guys save you, and you don't, you don't know why they're saving you. When he found me. They have to fight the Taliban. Yeah. Can you believe that? Crazy. So I had been crawling for a day and some change. I was, like, crawling through the mountains, and I, I had somehow, way, got to the top of this ridgeline. I was so thirsty. I mean, I... I thought about this. There's an insanity that goes with thirst. 
I was so in, I was so thirsty that I was willing to kill anything to get water. I was go I mean, you can't even believe it. I was drinking my own urine, my own blood. Nothing would quench the thirst. God, I hadn't thought about this in a while. And I got to the top of this ridge line and there was a waterfall. And I, I was trying to slide down into it. I was like, I'm just gonna go down in here and I'm gonna hit that water and it's gonna be something good to drink. So I tried to slide down, I just took off. I got un uncontrollably and I started sliding. I rotated upside down. And I remember looking over and my rifle was sliding beside me. I couldn't throw that thing away. It's like every time I'd lose it, one of my boys was like, hey, you're gonna need this. And I flipped into the upside down, over backwards into the river. And my, I remember my knees hit me in the face and it knocked me out again. And I was kind of, I mean, I was a, I was a blobbering mess. Everything was broken. And I, I rolled over and I remember kind of sitting on all fours. I picked my head up and I looked up and there was that water fountain there. And I remember sliding down. This is the craziest thing. God, I hadn't thought about this. And I remember seeing this little pool of water and I was like, oh, it'd be a great place to get something to drink. <laughs> So I climbed, I crawled back up into this thing and I leaned into that waterfall and I remember washing my face and hands. My gloves were, um, I had gloves on the mechanic gloves and all the fingers were ripped out and the, the palms were ripped out. So I was just kind of, and uh, it was the best water I ever had. I'll never forget it. It's cold. And uh, I was hurting real bad. And I remember hearing somebody screaming at me. And I kind of turned around and over my shoulder, there's a guy standing there looking at me, pointing at me. He was like, Taliban, Taliban. So I swung around with my rifle and then all of a sudden behind me again, there was, I could hear someone screaming at me. They're like, and, they were, and I look up and there's this guy standing on the hill that I'd just fallen off of. But he didn't have a weapon. He was just pointing at me. And then there were some <laughs> guys on the ridge line moving around. They had weapons. I saw them. So I turned back around and I, I kind of started to crawl. I was like, man, I was in a channelized area. It was, was kind of bad. And I, I remember I was leaning against this rock. I was sitting on my, my butt. I had my rifle in my hand. I was breathing. I couldn't breathe. I'd bitten my tongue in half. And I, I was like, that's a crazy story. But the guy screamed at me again. I turned around to shoot and he, he saw me and he, he ducked behind this rock. And then I mean, right over my left shoulder, probably 30 yards, not even that. I hear American, American, and I kind of turned around and it was uh, Gulag, one of the main villagers who rescued me. And I turned around and I had my gun at my hip. My safety was off, my tension was out of my trigger. And he was kind of looking, I mean, we were staring at each other straight in the eyes. And I, I mean, I was like, <gasps> like death. You know how you can smell death when it's there? I was like, man, okay, let's go. And uh, yeah. I don't know why I didn't kill him. I don't know why I didn't kill him. I didn't have to even go to my shoulder to kill him. I mean, I had the tension out of my trigger. I was just sitting there looking at him. He was looking at me, and he was—he wouldn't say it. He said American a couple times, and then he said it again. I was like, Taliban? And he was like, American? And then he kind of put his hands up, and I came off my trigger. I don't know why I didn't kill him. And he started walking down on me. He's like, okay, 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 okay. Shampoo, hydrate, shampoo, hydrate. That's what he's telling me, shampoo, hydrate. Shampoo, hydrate. That's what he said, two English words he knew. I was like, shampoo, hydrate. You know how good that sounded? I was like, bro, I would love some water, and if you want to wash my hair. <laughs> it's so funny. So if you ever get into a bad situation and you're about to lose your mind, just say shampoo and hydrate, and you'll be fine, dude. And I'm like, can you believe that? That's what he said to me. That's crazy. And I dropped my muzzle down, and he walked up on me, and I pulled a grenade out. I pulled the pin. Don't ever do that. And I, I was going to, like, if you try something, I'll just kill us all. I don't care. 
But then he kind of rolled me over and he's like, it's okay, I got you. You know, I could just tell, you know how when you can tell like, hey man, I got you. I freaking got you. You can feel that. Like you can feel if someone's like, hey man, I, I, I got you and then I'm gonna jack you up later. And this guy was like, man, I got you, man. And I repinned that grenade. I'll never forget. I was like, I heard that you're not supposed to do. <laughs> I mean, there's so much crazy stuff. Well, anyways, all these kids came running out from everywhere and they picked me up. I couldn't walk. And they carried me down, started carrying me down the, the ridge line into the into the valley. And there was a village down there. And then the kids and everybody, they were laughing and, and whatnot. And they pulled me into this room and they started kind of doctoring. They doctored me up, stopped my bleeding, patched me up, gave me all the water I could drink. And then the Taliban came in after that and then snatched me up. But So how much of what what was in the script i know you didn't see the movie but how much of what was in the script was accurate every bit of it everybody died like in the movie when you see those guys falling down a mountain it looks cool imagine going past cool to when it looks like chaos imagine playing your favorite sport on the side of a mountain with people shooting at you it didn't look cool i was like if it, it looked horrific look sexy i mean I, I i it was terrible i mean like it's getting ripped apart and like we would come in and the guys would just be like man was shot in the face and it was kind of his eyes were gone like i'm a medic some of them were bad some was bad but then you know i was like i (laughs) i didn't know what to do i started i never knew what to do isn't that crazy? I was like, man, I was well-trained. I was like, I got my ass in a pickle. I couldn't get out. I didn't know what to do. And I would just sit there. And there'd be times when I when I would talk, think about my brother and all my buddies. I was like, hey, man, you guys have done stupid. I'm still here. Come get me. And then I could see aircraft flying overhead. And I was like, all right, I'm right here. And they would just keep flying. And then someone would try and kill me. Like a wall would blow up or a bullet would zip through the wall. And then they'd have to move me. Man, it was a hell of a week. It was rough. They left me in this hole for a while. They buried me. And uh, I was like, man, I'm a foreign man in a foreign land. Everybody's dead. And I, don't, I mean, who, who, who knows where I'm at? I was in hell. I was literally in hell. And if it wasn't for them, I mean, that, and, that, and the way that whole thing worked out, I, I it's funny when I talk about it. It's, it's hard to wrap your head around it, right? Like, man, why, why am I even sitting here? Because y'all came and got me. I couldn't believe it. I couldn't believe it when y'all showed up. I signed up to be an expendable asset. To die if necessary. That was the sexiest thing I ever heard of. I was nobody. I'm, you know, I have a special skill. I was an expendable asset. And you work till you become dependable and they'll kind of keep you around. So when y'all showed up, I couldn't believe it. I couldn't believe it. I remember talking to them guys like, man, I can't believe y'all made it out here. We were out in the middle of nowhere. And then, and then um, the first time I ever got, like, scared was when they, when they were with me and trying to get me out of there. I was like, hey, man, I hope y'all can get me out of here. <laughs> is that selfish? I was like, man, I hope that's a selfish, is it? I was like, I sure would like to live, man. And they threw, I mean, it was a crate. To get me out of there was the, it's a whole different movie altogether. Those Green Berets and those Ranchers and, and P, PJs that were on that plane, on the hill, on the, hill the pilots, like Spanky, he was one of the pilots at Skinny. When they came in, they came in to crash. They don't ever talk about that. Like, he had to crash that bird on the side of a mountain to get to get in there. And he did it. He didn't give a shit. He's like, watch this. Boom. And just brought it in. I mean, there was a gunfight going on from the top and the bottom. Every aircraft we had in country was wagging, like, spinning overhead. The Spectres, that's the hand of God. 
know, or the finger of God. I mean, the, the, the weapon we have, man, they can look down on you and just erase you. And they got me out of there. I couldn't believe it. I hadn't thought about that in a while. It's weird because it's a worldwide pandemic, but I feel like I'm at peak health. <laughs> I can bench. Catch new episodes. We all get rustier with age, right? But is the old adage, it's like riding a bicycle, applicable to sniper skills? Let's go. New National Infantry Museum, among the many highlights of Ted Gundy's visit to Fort Benning, Georgia. Now it's about time for his impossible shot, but not before a couple more surprises that'll leave him speechless. Once a sniper, always a sniper. The black... Now you can say that like once a Marine, always a Marine. But you're not running the old course, humping the gear, right? Sniper's a pretty specific job. So once a sniper, always a sniper. Can you hit the target at 500 yards into a gnat's ass? Can you hit at 1,000? This man had never heard of the concept of hitting at a 1,000 during his time. It was nearly impossible. The optics weren't there. Probably couldn't see that far. Let's keep going. That is the grandest prize an Army marksman can earn. And Ted Gundy is about to see just how much he's revered. So on behalf of the officers, non-commissioned officers, soldiers, <laughs> and civilians of the United States Army Marksmanship Unit, Sir, I'd like to present you this black hat of the U.S. Army Marksmanship Unit. Oh, you don't know. Congratulations, sir. You don't know how much it means to me. We've only presented about eight black hats to non-members of the Army Marksmanship Unit. The wearer of the black hat is a member of an elite. They're members of the best shooters in the world. You don't know how much you guys. And he still fits into his dress uniform. Now that's pretty amazing. Usually guys get fat, right? But these older guys of that generation, he's probably long since deceased at this point. My grandfather's age stayed pretty thin. They were against getting overweight for several reasons, none of which were anything to do with fat shaming. They just didn't eat as much. They had common sense. I'll never forget it. Sir, that means, that means the world to us. But now it's time for Ted to show the world he deserves the black hat. The World War II sniper will attempt a shot he'd never dreamed possible. Hitting a target with modern equipment at a thousand yards. He'll be coached by the finest sniper team in the world. Two-time international champions, AMU Sergeants Robbie Johnson and Jason St. John. He walked up and he came over and he was expressed to us that he was honored to be here with us. And I guess not trying to be insulting to the man, I just thought that was silly because, I mean, the honor's definitely all ours. So to meet someone that was actually there and um, and was a sniper back then and, you know, was in the Battle of the Bulge and Baston, and, man, it's just a great honor for me. Now think about it for a second. They never shot at a 1,000 yards, like I said earlier. So he's never been this far out. Maybe you hope get lucky maybe he took the shot like that i doubt it because you know you're not gonna hit anything why give away your position number one number two the battle of the bulge was the largest battle in world war ii i think 1945 1944 to 1945 it was in the winter it was one of the coldest winters in the war's history so it was a very substantial battle 
as in it made a big it was a big turning point for the allies it'll be starting with a shot from 300 yards and this will truly be a blast from the past he hasn't seen his army issued 1903 springfield a4 since leaving the service in 1944 that's why val forget has flown in his company navy arms specializes in making exact replicas of historic guns so he's made a special trip from Maryland to make yet another surprise presentation to Ted Gundy. And on behalf of Shooting USA, Navy Arms, and a Grateful Nation, we want to give you an exact replica of your 1903 A4 that you used in the war. God bless you, sir. He's representative of, of millions of men and women that, that serve our country every day. You want to let them know how much it means to all of us as Americans. I think those are all 10 power fixed scopes. I tried to get some more information about what exact scope was used, but there were several different ones during the war. 30-06, you're not gonna hit a thousand yards with that weapon, that's for sure. You'd have to hold off probably seven or eight feet. Let's keep going. For what he sacrificed. So he's got his rifle. He's got his world-class instructors. Now it's up to him to ring a target from 300 yards. Okay, I'm dead on. You, it's all on you, sir. Damn, good. The first shot's good. But Ted's not satisfied. That's uh, three inches below center mass and three inches left. You want to go one? So I said earlier, it's like riding a bike. So marksmanship skills do get rusty, but you remember the fundamentals, right? So you remember breathe, relax, squeeze, your eye relief on the stock, certain things you remember. So if you somebody who's never shot, they're not going to have at least the fundamentals in their brain. Now, do you still have the eyesight for looking through the scope? Of course not. So it's somewhat like riding a bike. It's going to take some practice to get better at it because you understand, at a minimum, the basic elements to marksmanship. Or you can try to hit that gong. You just barely missed the gong. So one more shot from 300 yards with a World War II-era rifle at a dead center hit. Do you know the number one female turn-on of all time? No, it's not confidence. It's not charm, game. Wow. Yeah, you got you got the gong that time, sir. Dead center. But you walked him right up. One, two, three. You couldn't ask for any better performance. So you take direction better than my partner does. <laughs> and now he'll have one. Now it helps having a spotter, right? So if you say, I was dead center, and the rifle's been zeroed and you're off, you have to decide, was it a good shot or did you pull it? You know, what did you do? Was it you or the weapon? You shoot the second one, it's the same spot. Obviously, you need to adjust the weapon. But this guy knows. He's done that. So he probably said, okay, that's the way the weapon's shooting. I'm not going to start jacking around with the scope. They probably don't even have adjustments on them then. You just do Kentucky windage, hold up a little bit, and hold it to the right. A chance to take direction. The next shot is the one he's been waiting for. Wow. A thousand yards. I couldn't, I couldn't. Now look right there. You can't, now this is a shitty video as far as the quality. 
But at a thousand yards, you can't see much. Like a human being is going to look like a speck if you can pick them out. At 500 yards, I can tell you this. With open sights in the Marine Corps, we shoot at 500 yards. The target's a speck. The first time they tell you you have to shoot at the target, you think, there's no way in hell I'm hitting this thing, ever. Now, I've shot at a thousand yards after I was out of the military with good optics. And there's still any kind of screw up. This thing will go off. And it's not like you're off five inches. You're off like five feet. Dream. And a thousand years, how, how you would do that. <laughs> how you'd even see a, a human that far away, you know. So you're anxious to find out. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You'll have.